Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa MacDonald. Welcome. Welcome to another podcast in the Finance Malta series called FinTalks. I'm Vanessa MacDonald and I'm here today with Conrad Casatorajani, who is the tax leader at Deloitte Malta. Conrad, we're here to talk about family offices, um, which is like, it has been identified as being one of the, the, the growth potential areas. But perhaps we should take a step back, actually ask you, what exactly are family offices? Because it seems to be a term bandied about without too much definition. Absolutely. And I think that's, that really is the right place to start. So we talk about family office family offices. It's not a universal term having a unitary or single definition at all. I think it really refers to quite a broad category of um, wealth management solutions for families. So if you look at you know, the, the, the business world, you have venture capital, you have private equity, but in truth, a significantly larger portion of global wealth is held in families. And families have, throughout the ages, looked for ways to manage and transfer wealth through generations. You know, if you look at, you know, the, um, the old noble families with primogenitor and these kind of things, these are all ways of managing succession of wealth. The modern world looks at it slightly differently. And in truth, um, when we talk about family offices, we're talking about what is the appropriate solution for a given family to manage its wealth. And it's not about size, it's not about um, magnitude of wealth alone. Those, of course, present different challenges, but it's also about the philosophy. How does the family perceive wealth um, distribution, application, and succession? And Malta has always had a very particular role in this space for a number of reasons. Main reason being we have a legal system which is based on civil law, Roman law, uh, Roman law but has a good, strong common law influence. And that has allowed us to have a very flexible accommodation to different legal solutions. So we have some very traditional civil law notions which sit side by side with common law ideas like trust. And what you normally find in a jurisdiction, it's either one or the other. And we have had the benefit of some of our legal thinkers or pioneers, really, who have managed to craft a legal system which accommodates both which means... Very innovative, in fact, yes. It was yes. always very innovative. Mm-hmm. It, it always had people scratching their heads a little bit and saying, but, you know, what are you or what is this? But the truth is, flexibility is key to family offices because any solution, the solutions are as varied as families themselves. Families are varied. There isn't a singular notion of a family. If you're talking to a family, a family set up in a European context, it would be very different to what you'll find in a Middle East context. The size of families, the composition, how wealth is perceived and controlled, um, patriarchal versus matriarchal society. So there are a lot of factors. So flexibility, the ability to accommodate, to manage um, different needs was key. And more to play the role there, the English language, of course, always a factor in an international context, and a strong taxation platform in the sense that it was not only not excessively burdensome, but contained features such as the resident non-domicile treatment for individuals. You know, these are all features which make the jurisdiction quite attractive, a strong tax treaty network to support 
um, cross-border type um, investment flows and, and income flows, and a general awareness of the need to have high degrees of certainty. So, you know, we have rules which expressly regulate how you treat, how you tax income of a trust, and what is the status of a trust for tax purposes, which in some jurisdictions is like, I don't know, maybe I look through it, maybe I treat it as a taxpayer on its own, doubt, not sure how the courts would interpret it, so nothing conducive to planning. So we have successfully worked, especially I'd say in the post-2004 era with EU accession, etc., we've successfully worked at building a very good proposition for Malta for family businesses. You're talking about actually having the funds registered here in Malta, but have we actually managed to add sort of any multiplier effect, any economic activity linked to them? Well, I think there are different solutions. Some are a little bit lighter vis-à-vis what they have on the ground here, and maybe it's more formalistic. But there are definitely a number who have successfully built administrations based in Malta that generates employment, it generates multiplier benefits through engagement of advisors and consultants, um, not only the traditional lawyers and accountants, but also maybe financial advisors and fund managers. So it's a broader community, but the potential is, is broader. And I think the innovation we are talking about through the Financial Services Advisory Council, having, as you said, having identified an area here for growth, one of the, you know, one of the um, key focus areas for the strategy which has been recently rolled out is in fact the family office proposition. We are there saying we need to enhance this. Now by enhancing it, we're focusing on a particular aspect of family office, which historically we haven't directly addressed. And I'll ex- try to explain it succinctly. So. Nothing which currently exists is going to change or be negatively impacted. But we did see an opportunity where because of the way some family offices are evolving, and our family offices are all about the structure, the governance, but it's also about the functionality. So what are some families looking to house within their family office? How much activity are they looking for the family office to, to undertake? And increasing because the size of family offices we are, we are, we are seeing um, and the complexity around investment opportunities, increasingly we're seeing family offices saying, I don't wish to engage an external fund manager or an external investment advisor. I want to house that within my own capability. Now, as you will know, if you are managing your own wealth, you're free to do so as you like and please. If you're managing somebody else's wealth, then you need a license as a whole regulatory overlay. And it's quite, a, it's quite a rigid regulatory overlay. We're trying to find a balance between when a family is managing its own wealth for itself and all of its family members in the broadest definition, which that will cater for. And that requires Malta to carve a path between no regulation, because it's me managing my own wealth, and regulation because it's actually managing other people's wealth, because the family is broad, it has a number of people. So we're trying to find a fit-for-purpose regulatory platform which says, I know what you're doing, I'm happy for you to do it within the EU under my regulatory framework, but it's not an overburdensome regulatory framework, it's not looking to limit and impose or to drive up costs, it's just looking to make sure that the more vulnerable um, are not taken advantage of. And how do you achieve that within a family context? Um, you know, the proposals, but they are still under discussion, and, and that's what the strategy says. Let's come up with a fit-for-purpose regulatory platform, is to find the right balance between the regulator knowing about the existence, 
the regulator being able to intervene and protect, but the regulator not imposing unnecessary layers of supervision, which will then stifle because it's disproportionate. Clearly, if I'm, I'm employing people to manage the wealth of my family, getting a license which will allow those people to manage anyone's wealth from the richest to the poorest makes no sense. And Malta has a good tradition in this space because we, a while back, recognized the, the professional investor, a category of investor which is able to take care of himself or herself, doesn't need the protection, and normally it's linked to criteria of wealth. Obviously, in a family, you need to be looking at the family as a whole because the youngest members, the, the children, are not going to have. Of course, those. there's a huge difference between the first, second, and exactly. third generations. Yes. So, we need to be able to find something which says, okay, I define the family, I see the family as a unit, and then I can apply a fit for purpose regulatory envelope around that, which is not stifling, but still does not expose the jurisdiction also to the risk of you know, some untoward behavior by these individuals employed by the family offices for the benefit of the family. And then we discover that they've been taking everyone for a ride because these are realities which we, can't, we well, have yes, to cater for the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, besides then the international side of the proposition, because I've spoken mainly about ultra high net worth and trying to use Malta as a, a platform, even ge- our geographic location helps as a gateway maybe into and out of Europe, Middle Eastern um, flows, etc. That's all well and good. But we're also seeing... The, the, the evolution of Maltese commercial society. And we're saying we have a number of businesses which are third generation businesses. We know that is the critical point of failure potentially. There are many options. There's exit, whether you IPO and list or whether you sell off to a larger organization, etc. But one of the solutions which is sought is can I do this within a family business? type setup. And the weakness we have locally, historically, is that we've tended to use our holding company as the solution for all our family affairs. And, you know, it's, it's a bit about mixing business and pleasure, maybe. Not the right um, comparison, but the point is the business drivers are different to the family drivers. A business has a focus around, around a return on investment, around allocation of rights and responsibilities. Families tend to need a, a more flexible solution around, you know, taking care of the vulnerable. Not necessarily, you know, equality isn't necessarily equity, these kind of notions. And so what, more, what we are also trying to do through the work of the um, MFSAC is to say, okay, let's recognize the need within local society for a fit-for-purpose solution there as well. Um, and we're focusing primarily on what is called the family charter. A family charter is like a constitution which families, they're normally at the, 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 the starting point of any family office is the family charter. And whether you have a family office which is equipped with 30 people and running your, your concierge type services or running your investment portfolio or handling health and education, or whether you have a family office which is literally just managing um, the distribution of the wealth as it flows from the business, those are both family offices. But the charter is, 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 is a constant. And what we're saying in more than this is innovation as well, is let's see that as a particular type of contract. So like you may be familiar with a condominium, so if you live in an apartment block, you have a condominium, that contract isn't governed by pure contract law. There are special rules which allow, you know, rule by majority, don't allow the minority to stultify action or hold things up. And there's a different way in which it's amended. It's not by agreement of everyone. So it gives it a, 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 a the importance um, it needs as a contract which is not regulating normal contractual affairs but is trying to get people to live together. The family charter needs to be recognised as well. And you can understand why because as you say when you're looking at three generations you're talking about dozens of people. Exactly. That's and that very is the different challenge. requirements.
requirements, of course. Because when you get to the, you know, the siblings will have a relationship which they were brought up together. They may squabble and argue, but there is a level of affinity typically, which is, 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 is you know, blood is thicker than water kind of thing. There. But when you get to the second, third generation and you're dealing with cousins, that's a completely different reality. And one family may have had six children, one only had one. So the relative shares are very different. And there is a risk as well of the people with, a, with, a, with smaller interests feeling excluded and unimportant or held to the tyranny of, of the larger one. So the family charter allows a mechanism to say, regardless of that and the way the interest in the business goes, we have certain family values. And these are the guiding principles which we are going to commit to now and in the future. But that document has to be a living document. Nobody in the 60s thought the world was going to look the way it does today. And we have no idea what the world will look like in 2050. So we need to be able to say Malta is recognizing the need for a family charter. It's not a normal contract. It's going to have multiple parties over time as people enter and exit the family, unfortunately, and such is the nature of, 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 of the world we live in and, and, and the course we are all on. And we move on. And the people who, we, who follow need to have something they can work with. And we believe that this innovation will put Malta in a very particularly favourable position, not only for the international framework, but also locally, helping our local businesses get through the challenge of third to fourth generation, which is the hardest part. And if you look at, you know, post-independence businesses, that's where we are, very much on the cusp of that. And hopefully we'll allow them not to fragment, because that's a danger. We've seen many local businesses being broken up as, you know, um, strands within the family take their share and do their own thing because the cousins aren't really on the same wavelength or whatever. Um, but that limits the ability to go international, to exploit markets beyond Malta, if that's what they want to do. Um, and because the, 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 the concentration of wealth um, gives it more power than it's, it's, it's the sum of its, of its individual parts, right? So once you start breaking it up, then... It doesn't have the same capability to invest, to take risks. You lose an awful lot that has been carefully put together over all those years. Conrad, what last question. How long is all this going to take? Ah. Because obviously whenever we talk about the MFSAC and the strategy, everybody is looking as though there's a a clock ticking. Yes. Unfortunately, the the downside of such a great um, identification of a vast plethora of action points is you normally have more or less the same people following all those leads. So I think the challenge is to prioritize. I know it's, it's part of um, the steering committee's um, focus, prioritize some low-hanging fruit, some medium to longer term, but more value drivers and to kind of balance a bit of both. There's also an expectation to see something come from the strategy. Otherwise, it's all been a, a very painful waste of everyone's time, which I'm, I'm, I'm convinced by the, the, con- the role and contribution of those around the table. Nobody has any intention of letting it be reduced to that. Family office is high on the agenda. We are expecting to make progress. We have proposals which are going through review by the regulator. So we're not at design a proposal. Proposal is submitted. There will be refinement. So I think on the regulatory front, that should be quite rapid. The family charter part is a slightly more complicated issue. It will involve broader government. 
and therefore we're touching elements of our civil law and contract law. So I wouldn't expect that to be something we're going to do overnight because the risk here is that if you rush and you overlook something, then you create more of a problem. Than a, and that's where innovation has failed. So we don't want to run that risk. It will require a broader base collaboration. But I think the very fact that it's on the radar, that we're looking to achieve it, already allows certain conversations to start, certain thinking to happen. And I think realistically, during the course of 2024, I think we should have meaningful progress on most elements to do with the family office proposition. All right, let's meet again at the end of 2024 to see where we are. Thank you very much for bringing us up to date. Thank you. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.